0: This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock?
1: Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve?
2: Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in.
1: This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy
2: Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years. On Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening, welcome 5 p.m., This is The Cable. I'm Guy Johnson. It is Thursday, the 16th of June, a day to remember, to be honest. It has been quite the ride since yesterday's uh, decision by the Fed. 75 basis points delivered by the Fed yesterday uh, in terms of the hike that we got there. No real surprise. A little bit of turbulence around the Fed decision. Then we get into Europe this morning. And to be honest, it all breaks. I, everything goes off the rails the snb's out it's raising 50 basis points the swiss national bank hiking by 50 basis points half of one percent nobody saw that coming one economist expected 25 basis points nobody else saw, saw anything in terms of a hike the the the, the snb delivers delivers 50 basis points the bank of england comes out it delivers 25 basis points and then points to the fact that we could get 50 in August. We've got the JGB story to watch overnight. Uh we've got the Bank of Japan potentially following suit. We'll wait and see. The market reaction to all of this, pretty epic. Stocks have completely reversed their post-Fed gains and we're down hard. The French market, the Keker on finishing in a bear market this evening. Uh the SP over in the States is currently down by circa three percent. The FTSE was off by 3.14%, barely clinging to seven thousand today. So big move in, in equities, bigger move, you could argue. Uh, uh, in the uh, the currency space, the Swiss franc up by 2.8% versus the US dollar. The pound's up by 1.29% versus the uh, the US dollar. Big move in the bond market as well. That's just starting to fade. The move in the gas market as well, fading a little bit. We're only up over the last five days in terms of UK gas prices by 50%. Earlier, we were up by nearly 100, 100% over five days. This is the Russians start to uh, basically cut Europe off from gas. It has been... A It's been a day where I've barely known where to look. We're gonna try and break it down for you though. Over the next hour. Try and pull the pieces apart, try and understand what's going on, try and get a sense of where it's gonna take us next. We'll do that with a bunch of great guests we've got lined up over the next hour. But first I've told you what's happening in the markets. Let's get the headlines.
3: Here's Charlie. Hi, thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Nicely done because a lot of moving parts in today's markets. Let's begin with the BOE, the Bank of England raising rates for a fifth straight meeting and sent its strongest signal yet that it is prepared to unleash larger moves if needed to tame inflation. The nine-member Monetary Policy Committee voting six to three to increase the benchmark lending rate by 25 basis points to 1.25%. A minority of officials maintain their push Remove of double that size. Europe's biggest economies are seeing near record amounts of solar power as a heat wave spreads across the southwest of the continent, boosting demand for electricity to keep people cool. Solar met almost a quarter of all energy demand in five of Europe's biggest power markets yesterday. The surge in electricity supply, though, doing little to ease rising prices that are being driven higher by climbing gas costs, as Guy mentioned, Russia cutting some flows to Europe. Europeans turning up the air conditioning to deal with rising temperatures which reached 39 degrees in Madrid. The bosses of the world's biggest luxury and cosmetic companies, LVMH and L'Oreal, are giving upbeat assessments on the outlook for their businesses, largely shrugging off soaring inflation and growing concern over an economic slump. The executives made their remarks at the vivatech Summit in Paris. Not all business leaders, though, have been so upbeat in recent me- weeks. Earlier this month, JPMorgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon warned investors to prepare for an economic hurricane amid a combination of challenges, including tightening monetary policy and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So lots going on today. He's got it covered. Back we go to Guy Johnson now in London.
1: Charlie, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Charlie's going to be back in around 30 minutes time. He is going to keep us updated on what we need to know. Now, as promised, we need to break down some of the the moving parts that Charlie just described. We need to figure out what is happening here and where we're ultimately going. The Swiss franc today is up by nearly 3% versus the US dollar. Nobody expected the S&P to raise by 50 base points today. But Thomas Jordan in Bern surprising everybody and delivering that hike. Then you got the Bank of England. We need to talk about that. We've got the BOJ coming up. There's so much to think about and talk about here. Bloomberg's uh, macro squawk veteran, Vince Signorella, joining us now from the bunker to update us on what is happening here. Vince, I barely know where to begin. Let's talk about the SNB. That was amazing. Nobody saw 50 basis points coming there. The,
0: the one central bank that is absolutely the biggest surprise, uh, and they, they they have a habit of surprising, I must say. Um, I traded Dollar Swiss when I first started. Um, an incredibly, incredibly difficult central bank to read. They keep things very close to their best. Um, very obviously surprised with 50 basis points, especially since we're, we're not expecting something like that from the ECB, so it's kind of like they're jumping yep. ahead, um, and I think that's what caught the market off guard. They've also basically um, made, basically made a statement that's almost like, okay, the currency's moved, but it's going to stay there. Um, we're going we're yeah. to intervene if it gets excessively strong, and we're going to intervene if it gets excessively weak. So that really puts FX traders on the back foot and not knowing which way to turn right
1: now. What I found fascinating was the complete lack of guidance as well. It's kind of like you got to figure it out for yourselves, guys. So, so early we had the opportunity to talk to Thomas Jordan up in Bern after he'd set the rates raising them by 50 basis points um allegra my my good friend and colleague allegra country talking to thomas jordan let's take a listen to what he had to say
0: we believe it was necessary to increase rates today if you look at our inflation forecast it clearly shows that uh, inflation is now higher there's also a certain risk of second round effects a certain risk that inflation does not come back below two percent by alone by itself and so we came to the conclusion that it's now the right time to adjust to make a certain adjustment of our monetary policy and to tighten.
1: Vince it was a big move it wasn't just 25 Mm -hmm. it was 50. What are the Swiss trying to do here do you think in terms of delivering such a big hike? They're still still in negative territory let's just make that clear as well.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's just a bit of shock and awe, um, given where uh, global inflation is going. Uh, they want to stay ahead of it, and uh, they're 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 the one central bank that basically looks like they're they're making a very bold effort to stay ahead of it. I mean, the seventy five basis points for the Fed yesterday wasn't as big a surprise nearly. I mean, the markets were talking about it quite a bit before, um, and there was some who thought it actually was leaked to the Wall Street Journal. Um, so so that. That went by the boards, if you will. Uh, you know, we also got a probably a little bit of surprise from the Bank of England uh, this morning, um, with with many thinking they would go fifty basis points and and just getting twenty five.
1: So, so that I some people thought we were going to get fifty. I, to be honest, the Bank of England has never raised fifty basis points ever in terms of the post independence era.
0: I would, yeah, so I was going to say, uh, you know, <laughs> don't tell that to George Soros.
1: <laughs> yeah i yeah pre independence clearly pre-independence. When, we were de- when 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 the government was having to defend sterling that was yeah. a different story but totally. but nevertheless, the banks never raised post independence post the brownier Twenty by by fifty basis points, but they're now pointing. The market's now pointing to the fact that they could do it. Do so in August. So my question: Why didn't they do it today? If they're pointing to it in August, and the market is now pricing in it in August, why not front load, get it done? They're hiking into potential weakness. Why not just get Mm -hmm. on with it?
0: You know, I I honestly think um, I actually like the bank's approach. I'm not crazy about the Fed's approach. Um, you know the the Atlanta Fed is is talking about potentially zero
1: growth for the second quarter in the U.S. Vince, are you still there? Doesn't sound like Vince is still there. Um, I'll carry on talking. I, the 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 story around the Bank of England, I think, is is pretty interesting. In as much as I think guidance has been very difficult for the for the bank to deliver upon. Uh, we don't know ultimately where this economy is going to be going next. Uh, there are so many moving parts for the Bank of England to ultimately have to deal with here. You've got the fiscal approach. Uh, since the last meeting, we've had the Bank of England uh, having to ratchet into its uh, conclusions, kind of where we sit vis-a-vis uh, the, the fiscal approach, we had an extra 15 billion uh, applied there. Then you've got this whole issue of whether or not Brexit is going to be a problem. So there's a whole range of factors for the Bank of England to think about. I, uh, Vince, to my mind, what we got from, from, an, from a bunch of cent- different central banks today was we are going to deal with inflation, but we're really struggling to figure out where these economies are going.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, that's actually key. I mean, if you look at the Fed forecast, just, you know, they, they got it wrong in March, so they changed them again today. They were terrible, uh, a year and a half ago when, when all the central banks were saying inflation is now, uh, you know, it was transient. Um, and now they're, they're feeling like it's here to stay. I would actually push back on that a little bit and that, you know, we're going to see slower growth in the next six months in all of the global economies inflation as far as food and energy is going to stick. But we saw it with retail sales in the U.S., which dropped dramatically for durable goods, and we're seeing a drop in in housing simply because rates are higher. So the Feds made their point when they raised 75 basis points over two meetings. They were already starting to impact the economy and starting to impact inflation, even though inflation hasn't quite shown us that yet. I think this this move aggressive yesterday uh, was, was a little bit unnecessary. I think they're going to find themselves going forward that the economy is going to roll over, and yep. they're going to have to support growth. And so I, I prefer the Bank of England's approach, to be honest, uh, because they want to wait and see what second quarter, quarter growth looks yep. like and what third quarter growth is going to look like. I think the Fed is, 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 is in a panic a little bit, to be honest be honest.
1: Um, one of the factors behind uh, this is what is, is, certainly from our point of view, is what is happening with the dollar. The strong dollar is making the imported inflation narrative around energy quite difficult. Um, I was talking to Greg Jensen over at Bridge War a little bit earlier on. Like, his view is actually the dollar's quite vulnerable on a secular basis. Um, he thinks actually long-term pressure on the, on the US dollar is pretty bearish. I, given what you just said, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I don't, um, I, I, think the dollars come, look, the dollars come a very, very long way. Um, when you start to see inflation when it's way through the economy, you know, raising rates just to try to catch inflation is usually negative for a currency. It, it just doesn't work. I mean, it's something that w- the UK has been experienced. I think that's why the pound had been so weak for so long. It wasn't just dollar strength. It was, it was some sterling weakness. You know, now you're, you're getting to that point where, you're, you're trying to chase something, and, and we see it today. Like you, There's been a very, very inverse correlation between the dollar and the stock market until today. As the stock market fell, the dollar went up. It's been a flight to risk, um, and that is, that is, at least for today, broken. It's going to be interesting to see if it continues to break. So do you see any rally in equities, which I think we may see. I think I have this feeling yep. that we're getting a little overdone with this in a fear of a recession, which even if we go into one, could be relatively mild. I mean, the consumer is still there. They're just shifting their buying habits. You know, supermarkets are seeing them, people shift their buying habits more towards store brands. The wholesale clubs are doing, you know, land office business because people are buying more in bulk and not buying premium product. I, I think that's what you're going to see is more of a shift in spending as opposed to a complete shutdown in spending. Yep. Um, and and there's going to be some latency that goes with that as people hold off buying big ticket items and durables and automobiles you can't hold off on that forever you know and it's it's going to come back into the market so i think if we have a recession it's going to be
1: short lived let's talk a little bit about the boj bank of japan out with a decision overnight uh, tomorrow morning in asia we'll certainly be focusing on that the the the, the b Raised by 50 basis points, in some ways, a lot of people put the BOJ and the SMB in the same bucket. Are you expecting Mr. Kuroda to crack when he makes its announcement tomorrow?
0: I don't think so. Uh, I, I, I think they'll do something, um, you know, the, the market's obviously betting on it, seeing where the end strength is today, that, that they will follow suit. Um, You know, they they could raise rates, but I don't think they're going to be doing sort of the shock and awe that people expect. They're they're really, I think, caught um, behind behind the eight ball more than any other central bank in terms of trying to manage growth and inflation. So it's a really, really sticky uh, thing for them, I think. I think they're going to have to do something to keep in line with the rest of the central banks. If they do nothing, the yen is going to weaken considerably. It's already weakened a great deal. Yep. That adds to the inflationary pressure. Uh, but the issue with Japan and the, is that they're a major importer of oil. Um, and oil prices being where they are, that's the big inflation ticket that's, that's hitting the country. If you move too aggressively to curb demand uh, and, and you know, you shut down growth, it It's not going to help the situation. It's one of the problems with central banks now is the Fed, the central banks in general, they're trying to defeat energy prices, supply issues. These are all really out of the central bank's control. You know, nothing, an interest rate hike with the size of the Fed's balance sheet is literally just increasing the price of money as a commodity. It's It's not cutting off demand as drastically yep. as they like.
1: Vince, always a pleasure. Great to catch up. Such a wide range of topics for us to discuss today. Bluebirds, Vince Signorella. Thank you, sir. Up next, we're going to talk about the energy markets. UK nat gas earlier on up massively, actually closed in negative territory. It's still up sharply over the last five days. Rachel Morrison is going to join us with the latest next. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. A core component of the energy and inflation story that we're watching right now is nat gas. UK nat gas today finishing down at the close by around 10%. At one point, it was up sharply. Over the last five days, it is still up by 47%. At one point today, it was up by nearly 100%. What's going on? How do we deal with this kind of volatility and this kind of turbulence within the market? Clearly, a lot of it related to what is happening in Russia, but that's not the complete story. Let's welcome back to the show Rachel Morrison uh, reporting on all of this, confused. We are. She's not. She's here to inform us as to what is happening. Rachel, why did UK nat gas prices finish down today? Talk us through what is going on in this market. Why are we seeing such volatility?
2: It is interesting. There's been such a huge move just within day to day. And that really has been happening throughout the war. As it's been going on, we've seen these huge price swings. So the first part of the day was building on these gas cuts from Russia. We were hearing more companies saying that they were receiving less supply. And then what has tended to happen that as prices reach certain levels, nobody can trade. Margin calls happen. And really, everybody is basically shut out of the market because they can't post enough collateral, the money that they need to guarantee their trades. And so they stop trading. Their risk managers ask them to close positions because there's just too much risk in the market. So really, as prices get to those levels, liquidity really tails off. And that's when we start to see prices coming back down.
1: So, so, is the price of gas at the moment a reflection of its availability or a reflection of the liquidity that's in the trading environment?
2: What, it's both. I mean, what's really driving prices at the moment is we've seen the market start to feel a bit more relaxed about the supply situation for storage, which is what everybody's trying to fill at the moment. And why that's important is because we need that storage, obviously, in winter. So, as gas supplies get cut, the worry is that storage will not get filled in time. And we're seeing some uh, frightening predictions about what will happen if we go into the winter with you know, 50% storage levels like we have now. We've already seen some withdrawals from storage. So that really does put that whole uh, safety buffer at yeah. risk if if gas flows are cut. So I think it's, traders are pricing that in. So what we're seeing with these huge spikes is the situation if we don't have enough gas in winter.
1: How does the UK compare with the rest of Europe?
2: The UK has been very volatile today. And, and as you mentioned that in the intro, the, the movement has been huge. Centrica announced a deal today with Norway's Equinor to get extra gas supplies. So the UK physically doesn't receive that much gas from Russia, only about 7%. And a deal like that does go some way to replacing that. But the UK market is obviously connected to Europe, so moves um, on, in Europe will affect the price. And we're seeing countries starting to, to, to shut down their own, you know, they're starting to think of themselves and, and their own supplies yeah. for winter. And that's when it starts to get a bit scary.
1: We've heard from the Germans today, the German authorities, that they are asking people, asking industries, maybe to limit gas usage. Is that a prelude to rationing?
2: Yes, we've been very careful to distinguish between these two things because rationing is when, you know, it's a mandate, you have to do it. So in Germany, they are getting worried about this. So in order to make sure there's enough gas to fill storage, they would like people to use less gas where they can. And that kind of energy efficiency piece could potentially be what we see more of throughout Europe going into winter you know, asking people to do what they can in a sort of war effort to to use less gas to make sure that there's enough for everything that we need it for.
1: Talking of the war effort, we we saw the leaders today of Italy, France, and Germany going to Kiev to to talk to President Zelensky. Moscow would have watched that happen. Moscow obviously doesn't want that to happen. We are now, it seems, and just about everybody seems to agree with this, seeing the effective weaponization of gas. In terms of the Russians turning off the taps to a number of different countries—Finland, the Netherlands, uh, etc., Poland—are um, we going to see that extended now? A- and as we see the the sort of the politics becoming more and more difficult for Russia, is that is there ultimately our expectation? You talk to a lot of people that supplies will be completely cut off.
2: That is the worst case scenario that Europe has to plan for and has been planning for. So we can't ignore that being a possibility it's still not the central scenario that everyone expects but you know we talked a lot about the whole rubles euros how will you pay for gas and what this shows is that even if you agreed to the workaround to pay for russian gas it doesn't mean you're going to get it so what russia what putin was trying to do was to split to divide europe to show that, you know, Europe together is, is stronger and Putin knows that. And, and if he can split Europe as he managed to do on that, it exposes the weaknesses. So I think that was probably the aim of that. But it just shows that even while paying as he demanded, it doesn't mean that we're going to receive the gas. So, yes, it does seem that this is now Russia sanctioning the EU in a way that, that, that hasn't been done before.
1: One well, final quick question. Um, it is, it's nice and warm here. It is incredibly hot in places like Spain. We're starting to see a huge pickup in the amount of solar being generated. To what extent does that allow Europe to, to sort of compensate for the lack of gas? How, how does that work?
2: Yes, usually on a day that's very, very sunny, you know, you would see huge uh, prices. Decreases, But that's not happening because of everything that's happening in the gas market. So really that is outweighing the impact right. of the, the, the solar. Also, this time of year is good for solar while the sun is still high in the sky. You know, August, solar panels become less efficient. But also when it's very, very hot, that can reduce efficiency. But we have seen records uh, in Germany, but it hasn't managed to make much difference to The short term prices, which are still very high and being influenced
1: by gas. As I said, Rachel will provide clarity. Thank you very much indeed. Bloomberg's Rachel Morrison on what is happening in the European energy market. Really difficult place to be right now. Up next, we're going to go back to the financial markets, talk more about what is happening with stocks and bonds. Cameron Kreis is going to be joining us. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. Welcome. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson. Alex Steele is out today, but hopefully we'll return tomorrow. I hope she does, because at the moment my head is spinning. Financial markets are all over the place. Central banks are all over the place. Politics is all over the place. Markets are really struggling with this. So let me just give you a kind of flavour of what is going on. FTSE 100 closing down today 3.14%. The 40 in Paris uh, closing in a bear market. The S&P is currently down by 3.1%. The Swiss franc up by nearly 3% today. This after the Swiss National Bank raised rates by 50 basis points. Nobody saw that one coming. The Bank of England raising rates by 25 basis points and pointing to a 50 basis point hike in August. The British pound up by 1.6% today. Japanese yen is up by 1.42 percent. Will Haruhiko Kuroda at the Bank of Japan follow suit this evening? Uh, Will we see the Bank of Japan changing course? The euro is up by over 1 percent against the uh, the dollar. Huge moves at the front end of the curve. The UK two-year up by 15 basis points today. Well off its earlier highs, uh, but nevertheless some fairly big moves there. The Swedish up by 18 basis points. UK natural gas Uh, closing down by 9% today. But at one point, uh, over the last five days, we were up by over 100%. Uh, The market being curtailed there, not by the fact that everybody believes there's going to be more gas, but simply because risk officers are tapping people on the shoulder and saying, you're carrying too much risk in your position. Can you please stop trading? And as a result of which, the price has been fading. We're watching to see what the Russians do next in terms of cutting us off from gas. It all kind of started yesterday. To be honest, it all started last Friday uh, with that CPI print out of the United States nearly a week ago. But yesterday, we got the, uh, the Fed, of course, raising rates by 75 basis points. Thanks to the Wall Street Journal, we were all largely expecting that. But the turbulence over the last five days has been absolutely epic. In a moment, we'll discuss it. Blue Cameron cries. He's going to give us his view. Before we get to Cameron, Cholly.
3: Hi, thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Indeed, Guy taking a drink from a firehouse of news. Just an absolutely busy day with plenty going on uh, on both continents. Financial market bets suggest the Bank of England will need to unleash a dramatic series of interest rate hikes that take borrowing costs to 3% by the end of the year. The UK Central Bank delivering a quarter point increase this morning, a third the size of the Federal Reserve, which uh, it pushed through the night before. BOE policymakers also signaled they will move, quote, forcefully in the future if needed. Britain will be getting more natural gas from key exporter Norway over coming winters, easing pressure on a market that has suffered wild price swings amid persistent supply fears. Today's agreement between Norwegian gas giant Equinor and UK's Centrica underscores the importance of the Nordic country to Britain's energy market as supply concerns send prices soaring once again and the UK government is exploring ways to hand borrowers larger and longer mortgages in the hopes of encouraging more people to buy homes with a review to be launched in the next few weeks. Sources tell Bloomberg the joint review by the Treasury and the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities will consider 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, debts worth almost 100% of the property, and ways to blend renting and owning a property. That is the latest from the news Dye Johnson very busy day back to you now in London.
1: Unhinged in fact that's how Cameron cries Charlie is describing what we're seeing in terms of the price action. Uh, I, I think I kind of I'm on the same page uh, Cameron to be honest I am really struggling trying to get a sense of what is happening here and trying to get some signal from the noise. Can you help me?
4: Uh, well I, I, I'm glad I'm glad my character characterization has your approval. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I can help Uh in the sense that I think globally, central banks find themselves in a very similar position to the Bank of England, um, where they're sort of, they find themselves trapped in a maze with no exit, uh, or labyrinth, I guess, is the more erudite way to, to, to articulate that. Uh, there's, there's sort of no good choice. Um, do you live with inflation, like elevated inflation, in a bid to maintain economic growth? Or do you apply the brakes forcefully to address the inflation issue and then threaten, uh, threaten a recession? Uh, for now, uh, the Bank of England has taken a sort of realistic viewpoint that the, the steps required to uh, address the inflation problem are going to result in a period of very substandard economic growth. Yeah. Um, the Fed uh is choosing to look on the bright side of life uh and still forecasting that they can uh tiptoe through the not the tulips but the uh uh the Venus flytraps or or the, the triffids tiptoe through the triffids uh and uh uh managed to curtail inflation without necessarily producing uh, a recession. But I, I think the chances of doing so are very, very slender.
1: Isn't the danger they've already been whacked around the face by a trifid and are basically blind? I, the message I'm getting from most of these central banks is, to be honest, we don't know what's happening here. We don't have a handle on it. The Bank of England's taking a more cautious approach, as you say. But nevertheless, I, they, are, they are living hand-to-mouth here.
4: Yeah, well, I think, it, you know, in particular, uh, the ECB... To a slightly lesser degree, the Bank of England—they um, uh, have been dealt a tough hand uh, because of the the energy issue and the you know the exogenous shock uh, that's come from from the war. Uh, it, arguably, the, arguably the Bank of Japan uh, is in the same boat, but they, for better or for worse, uh, have been running with this this essentially king-canute policy uh, of trying to hold back the, trying to hold back the tide uh, uh, with their yield curve control. Um, the Fed and the U.S. have also been impacted by exogenous shocks, but relatively speaking, less so. Uh, obviously, the United States produces a lot of energy. Um, they aren't reliant, reliant on, on Russian, uh, Russian energy to nearly the same extent or really to any extent um, uh, vis-a-vis Europe or or or, a, or, or just say maybe Japan uh, and more importantly there was a much bigger uh, positive demand shock via the massive stimulus that was that was yeah. uh, enacted after after covid and the fed basically ignored that um, for uh, quite a quite a long time still trotting out the the Hackney transitory phrase um, and they were very slow to, to adjust. I mean, they were doing QE's recently as a few months ago. I mean, we were yeah. on this very program. I think we talked about how absurd it was. And with the benefit within it, so this isn't just Harry Hindsight talking, um, but with the benefit of hindsight, it's gotten no less absurd.
1: Yeah, and, and to be honest, it's still only just having an effect now, and the ECB and others are only just starting to make that policy a reality.
4: Well, the problem, the problem with the ECB is there, there is no right answer, right? Well, if no. They address, and, and, if, they, yeah. if they address inflation, then they become subject to what I guess is now, uh, in polite circles, called fragmentation, um, which in the old yeah. days was called sovereign crisis. Uh, uh, and if they focus on the sovereign aspect, uh, then they run the risk of uh, either breaking their own rules um, in terms of, uh, you know, how they, how, they, um, how they allocate their their yep. portfolio or being soft on inflation, which is just going to exacerbate uh, uh, their problems vis-a-vis their, their mandate.
1: Yeah, I, th- there are some signs that the, the way they're trying to square this circle kind of goes a little bit something like this. We are going to, we're going to raise rates, but we are going to manage spreads by using our balance sheets. And what we're going to do is, and this I'm simplifying here, is we're going to, if there is a problem with BTPs, we're going to sell bunds and buy BTPs. But at the same time, we're going to be reducing in aggregate the overall size of our balance sheet. But we're just going to be managing the mix within it. I, I'm, I have no idea whether the Germans will go for that.
4: Yeah, well, you've all, you, you missed out the bit where they're going to front run redemptions.
1: Yeah, sorry.
4: <laughs> right. Uh, uh, but, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that we, uh, we heard a lot about the capital key and the, their portfolio. Yeah, that's gone out I the window. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean clearly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, op, uh, you know, operation twist, uh, but on, on the credit, you know, by the credit yeah, dimension yeah. rather than the duration dimension.
1: Let's talk a little bit about how financial markets are dealing with this. I was talking to, to Greg Jensen, the co-CEO over at Bridgewater, a little bit earlier. I asked him the question whether or not risk is is matching kind of reward at the moment, whether financial markets are priced correctly. And his view is not a chance. Would you agree with that?
4: In the sense that there's more downside to come yeah. from – yeah, I, I would say that's fair. Uh, uh, you know, are we closer to pricing a realistic outcome than we were – Six weeks ago or six months ago? Yes, I you know I, I think so. We're not at the point where price is becoming uh, sort of an endogenous endogenous variable, and we're sort of careening towards you know financial crisis. Um, I mean, maybe slightly in in Europe, but it's not the case where the equity market in the U.S. Uh, or the credit market in the U.S. is 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 going to cause a recession. You know, I think there. They're, they're essentially reflecting what the likely impact of, 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 the, of the policy choices uh, are, are, are going to be. So we still have
5: functional
1: so, markets, basically.
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, there, is, is liquidity bad? Absolutely. Uh, is yep. liquidity non-existent? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think we're there yet.
1: Talking of recession, have we, though, now got to the point... And it's interesting you brought up the Bank of England a little bit earlier on in the comparison with other central banks. Are we, though, at the point, certainly with the Fed, where there is an admission now that it is effectively in the business of causing a
5: recession?
4: I mean, they would never say that uh, uh, because that's politically unpalatable. Uh, But I I think they realize that they need to knock demand down pretty hard. Uh, And I think they also realize that the chances of, uh, of them doing that successfully, uh, you know, taking, the, taking demand into sort of a, a nosedive and then somehow pulling it out uh, just before hitting ground uh, and, and getting a smooth landing is pretty slim. Um, so, you know, I, again, I would say that the Bank of England's forecast profile is probably a lot more realistic um, than, than the Fed's.
1: So what does that mean in terms of where rates ultimately have to go? We've been flirting with three for a long time on a U.S. 10. Everybody's now talking about four.
4: Yeah, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's a function of a few things. Uh, You know, bad liquidity, uh, the fact that, you know, the Fed itself is saying they're going to push the policy rate towards four. And, you know, um, unlike every other episode in the forward guidance era, the Fed is now it keeps ratcheting its its projections higher, rather than being over you know over optimistic and then and then cutting cutting back their estimates of how much they're gonna they're gonna move. So uh, you know we haven't hit the spot yet where the Fed has sort of gotten over its skis in, in terms of how much they need to they need to move. It's, and it's in fact quite the opposite. Um, you know every time they open their mouth, it seems like a week later they're behind the curve. Uh, You know, you remember in May, I mean, Powell was was very dismissive of the possibility that they're going to, you know, that they would do 75, and yet they feel compelled to leak it two days before before doing so.
1: Why are we still doing forward guidance here in a world where clearly we have a lot of opacity? I I thought it was interesting that the S&B basically just came out with a statement today, no forward guidance, this is what we're doing. You guys yeah, figure well, it out from here.
4: We'll buy Euro Swiss if we need to. We'll sell Euro Swiss yeah. if we need to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, pro- the, problem, the problem with Ford guidance is that it only works if the emperor is fully dressed. Yeah. Right? If the emperor has no clothes, then what Ford guidance does is, is reveal the fact that these guys haven't got a scooby. Um, and I think, I think that's, uh, that's become pretty evident over the last year or two.
1: Well, I think it's become certainly evident over the last few days. So this whole sort of idea that the, Fed, that the Fed wasn't going to deliver 75, then that propagated the idea that we were going to see some sort of a pause in September. Then we get the inflation data. The Fed clearly panics, leaks it to the Wall Street Journal. 75 is back on. And hey, presto, that's what we end up with. I, to be, from a financial market point of view, given the fact that this is the kind of the risk-free rate we're talking about here, how easy is, it, easy is it to price anything right now?
4: Well, you know, the, the, the issue is not the level of the risk-free rate; it's the volatility of the risk-free rate. Okay, um, yeah. you, you just don't know what your discount, what the appropriate discount factor should be. Um, I mean, one of the issues is that much of the U.S. equity market was priced as if the discount factor was zero. Uh, so or, or, or arguably even negative. I mean, frickin' uh, Elon Musk used to say that you buy a Tesla and it's going to be worth more in three years than it is today because of robo Uh and, and, you know, at least on, on social media, people actually swallowed that line. Uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's been a long time uh, since discount factors have mattered, but they clearly, they clearly matter now. Earnings in three years... Uh, are worth a lot yep. less today than they'll be in three years' time. So um, you have to, you know, you yep. have to discount those those earnings. insofar as much of the U.S. Cameron? equity market, in particular, the valuation is from the very distant future.
1: Got to leave it there, Tuesday. Thanks very much, Kay. Cameron. Christ. See ya
2: This is the Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Welcome back. Forty-eight minutes past the hour. Um, it's happening right now. Elon Musk is addressing, addressing a Twitter staff meeting. It's kind of a virtual meeting. Um, they've set up a Slack platform to be able to put questions in. This is the staff to Elon Musk. This, of course, is we wait to find out ultimately whether or not he will, will not by the company. Um, If you want to follow along kind of blow by blow, just to get the latest on what is happening here, and it's a fascinating story, you can do so on your Bloomberg terminal TLIV. Uh, There is a fantastic live blog running right now. Bloomberg's Mandeep Singh joining us to discuss this. Mandeep, what are we learning? What are we getting here? This This is fascinating because staff are able to ask questions. A lot of it's clearly on the financials, but issues like working from home also coming up.
5: Yes, and uh, look, employee morale was a big question mark. You know, given all the uncertainty, whether he's going to go ahead with the deal or not. So uh, clearly, you can see the line of questioning over there. But at the same time, look, uh, there are still a lot of uncertainties around the business model, what he plans to do. So I don't think it's going to be covered in this uh, uh, Q and A. But uh, probably uh, even funding. You know. he talked about not taking a margin loan, but we still don't know where that additional $11 billion is going to come from. So, so
1: do we have any clarity on whether or not this deal goes through or not at this point?
5: Well, I mean, uh, it's anybody's guess. We uh, actually calculated uh, what the market is uh, showing in terms of probability. It's around, you know, 53% chance that the deal doesn't go through. And and it continues to increase just because of the way the market is shaking out. Uh, Look at all the peer group, you know, to uh, Twitter. Their valuations have tanked. And uh, at this point of time, Elon Musk isn't going to find another private equity investor to partner on this deal. So he really has to raise all that, you know, 10 to 11 billion dollars that he still needs by either selling stock or through some other mechanism.
1: If we were to see the deal going through at whatever price... What are, we, what are we learning anything here about what Elon would ultimately want to do with the business? Like He's talking about the fact that it's, it's not great that costs exceed revenues. Clearly, he's looking at costs, but he's, he is going to be looking at revenues as well. He's talking about maybe charging people that have the little blue tick verification for that privilege. What are we learning in terms of how he would change the business model?
5: Yes, and and so clearly he's keen on uh, diversifying beyond ads and probably using some sort of a subscription revenue stream. To me, this looks very similar to a LinkedIn type of model that you know you charge uh, some of the creators on the platform, the heavy users, and then all other users are free, and probably increase the validation mechanism in terms of having the real users versus you know eliminating the bot problem. So those to clearly stand out and it uh, shows up in his you know answers as well that he is keen to move towards subscriptions
1: in terms of what else is going on right now we are actually yeah let's talk about it we're in a situation where financial stocks tech stocks are coming under significant pressure what do you make of the price action that you're seeing in the market right now
5: well, so that adds to the uncertainty, right? So uh, we did some math around, you know, EV per user, that the market is currently uh, valuing a Snapchat user versus a Pinterest user. And uh, based yep. on all those metrics, you know, what uh, Elon Musk is paying for Twitter is almost two to three times where the market currently is at. So with social media companies, it's all about, you know, the user base and network effects. And so if you're valuing this platform based on users, the market is telling you it should be half the price, which is why he wanted to renegotiate the deal.
1: It's also having a fairly big impact on Tesla as well. Tesla, though, once again, kind of raising prices. It's clearly got a cost crunch that it's having to manage at the moment. And it probably will be able to put those costs through. We've seen certainly previous price rises being taken by the market. Is, is there a danger that Musk is taking his eye off the ball here, that, that investors in other parts of his business are going to be concerned? I, it is a pretty difficult environment that he's navigating right now.
5: Absolutely. And that was one of the biggest criticisms of Jack Dorsey back when he was running both Square and Twitter that, you know, how can you be CEOs of both companies? So in this case, Musk has got its hands full. He's running three companies. And, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about uh, layering on more responsibility uh, in in Twitter, a business model that he has never dealt with. And so I I do think, uh, you know, that adds to uh, what Twitter may look like uh, after it goes private. So there's a lot of uncertainty.
1: Musk is also getting involved in politics in a much bigger way. He's talked about this being a town square. He's talked about this being an open forum. If he's going to be more political, how does that impact Twitter, do you think?
5: Well, so I, I think it's going to hurt the user growth, which is a key metric. And once you get to a point where, you know, uh, you can uh, advocate free speech, but then it doesn't really show up in, in terms of, you know, the actions or what he's trying to implement, you know, th- to make everyone happy, it, it could have a negative impact in terms of, you know, some users just getting turned off and leaving the platform.
1: We're going to leave it there. Mandeep, always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, Mandeep Singh, on what is happening. Elon Musk addressing Twitter staff for the first time. If you want to follow along, you can do so. TLIV Go on your Bloomberg. I want to wrap the show up. We've got around a minute left to go with just a little bit of the price action that we're seeing right now. Let me just kind of whip through what is going on because it changes rapidly at the moment. So currently we've got a Nasdaq in the States that's down by nearly 4%. It's down by 3.76%. The S&P is trading at 36.74 now. We're down by 3%. The FTSE 100 held above 7,000 today, closing down by 3%. Elsewhere we 've seen a huge move in the bond market more at the front end of the curve than the back end of the curve so the two year two year bonds have moved a lot today, but again, huge volatility the the german two year up by eight basis points the u s two year rolling over in the last hour now down by four basis points the u k up by fifteen basis points, reflecting the fact that there is a belief that the Bank of England is going to have to be more aggressive going forward from here. Elsewhere, we've seen energy prices on a real roller coaster as we watch what is happening uh, with Russian energy supply and the currencies. The currencies have being a real focus of attention. The cable, which is named obviously after this show, today trading at 123.83. This is Bluefin.